Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. This is the Soho Radio Podcast, showcasing some of the best broadcasts from our online radio station, right from the heart of Soho, London. Across our music and culture channels, we have a wide range of shows covering every genre, along with chat shows, discussions and special broadcasts. Here is just one of our recent shows. To catch the full show, head to our Mixcloud page or listen live at SohoRadioLondon.com. All this philosophy and eco-culture and astronomy brings me on to my guest, not to mention the title, Cosmogony, because this is Cosmo Sheldrake. Hello, Cosmo. Hello there. Um, how are you? I'm doing well, yeah. Good. I, I think it's only fair to ask you where you are. Um, I'm standing at the top of a dirt track in Dorset, um, the only place I can get reception, basically. <laughs> and, and what brings you to this dirt track in, in Dorset? <laughs> Well, I've been uh, I've been living here basically since um, March. Um, it was an unplanned escape from London. We just ended up getting stuck here, so I've just been here since then. Uh, and uh, and has it all been good there? Has it been? Uh, is it? Are you all on your own? I'm not on my own. No, I'm with I'm with my girlfriend and um, her sister and her brother um, and their partners. It's a bubble. No, it's, been... it's a bubble. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a bubble. <laughs> Yeah, it's been great. Other than the fact that um, it's off the grid, so I have to—I've had to make a solar-powered studio, um, which gives me about four or five hours of, of electricity a day. Um, so I haven't been able to do quite as much as I might have liked. But wow! But that's—it's extremely brilliant that you know how to put together a solar-powered studio. Well, it's taken me a while. It's taken me a while. Trial and error. But I'm—I'm I'm definitely impressed. Um, now, Cosmo. Uh, I've actually played you on on this show back in its early days in January, uh, when I think I played uh, an early tune off this album, um, your new album, uh, which we'll talk about in a moment. But uh, the one about the owl, uh-huh, yeah, um, which I I loved very much. Um, so so saying, he reached for the album, and uh, yeah, there is owl song, which was the last track on it. Um, and uh, and this album is Wake Up Calls, which is kind of maybe what Björk was getting at too, um, a wake-up call. But before we get on to these wake-up calls, I just wanted to play the track that I first heard from you. Um, this is uh, back in my days on the um, esteemed and much-neglected Late Junction. Um, and... Uh, yeah, we we I think we need we we knew about you from BBC introducing, um, okay. to which you had very cleverly um, sent uh, one of the tracks of the album that you were doing at the time with Matthew Herbert, the much mm-hmm. much how how and I. Uh, so this is something called Hocking. Tell us a bit about Hocking. 
Well, I guess the the name is inspired by a vocal technique called hocketing, which is um I think it was developed in the Middle Ages, but um it's a kind of style of singing where you split melodies up between people. So some one person might sing two or three of the notes, and then somebody else might sing the interlocking notes that um, together build a uh, a melody. So it's also a common practice in lots of the kind of um, Bayaka and Central African. Um, um, polyphonic music. So it's, it's a kind of uh, singing technique I was quite in, in, interested in and inspired by. And then I guess it was also a time when I was spending, um, I spent a New Orleans, uh, I went to New Orleans for Mardi Gras and got very inspired by the kind of brass band sounds. And so it was a, a mixture of some of those elements and influences. Yeah, well, and and it's it's totally diverting and and rather devastating as a musical experience. So I'm going to play it right now. This is Hocking Cosmo from his first album. It's a masterpiece. Um, I, I have to say that uh, that is a great piece of work. And you could hear all the influences that you spoke of, particularly the New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Great. Who, who are the musicians that you've got playing on it? Well, it's, a, it's an amazing um, mixture. I, I have a, a good friend called Misha Malavabado, and he's um, a great jazz jazz player and i basically just stole his whole band um so there's some great great players there's um you and bleach on the clarinet and um uh, someone called yusef on the trombone and someone called james on the trumpet um and another james on the drums well it's 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 just great and it's so unexpected the journey that that song takes is is very brilliant but maybe equally unexpected is the uh, direction that you've now taken on this uh, second album um, because uh, but I do notice this that if anyone has a look at your TEDx talk entitled Interspecies Collaboration well uh, that's you assembling a piece featuring the real sounds of the sun and British birds along with your own live beatboxing and singing so maybe that was uh, a signpost pointing in the direction in which you've gone because wake up mm-hmm. calls is all about the birds isn't it mm-hmm, absolutely yeah i guess it's a project that's i started um i mean the owl piece for example i wrote about nine years ago i think so it's been a kind of ongoing simmering slow boil um for quite some time i think it just um lockdown kind of prompted me to to wrap it all up pull, pull all the threads together and and finish it into a an actual sort of final piece but um but yeah it's been a kind of ongoing um process of inquiry basically for the last few years um well let's uh let's hear what we're talking about so i'm going to play the first two tracks um one is nightjar and uh followed by nightingale part one um great so uh you can sit down on the track (laughs) while i play this track you're on the dusty track i'm on the birds Thank <laughs> you. 
Wow. Um, so we're listening to uh, Nightjar and Nightingale from Wake Up Calls by Cosmo Sheldrake, who is standing in a dusty track somewhere in Dorset talking to us about this record. How exactly do you make those sounds? Well, so they, it's a kind of patchwork quilt, really, or a kind of collage of lots of different recordings of birds, um, some of which, um, a lot of which are ones I've recorded, some I've sampled from some libraries or licensed from people. Um, and then I'll often, I'll listen through to a particular extract of the, say, for example, the Nightingale, which is, I recorded at one of Sam Lee's Singing with Nightingale events in, in uh Essex, I think it was. So I'll take a, a, a passage, I'll find a kind of melodic section of the Nightingale song, and I'll, I'll slow it down often to listen to it, just so you can hear more what's going on. And then I'll isolate maybe four or five different bits and then chop them up and put them onto a sampler so I can essentially make a kind of choir of birds um, on a keyboard. So it's, it's kind of like a prepared piano, so four or five notes will be one sound stretched across them and then the next five notes up will be a different sound so if you play a chord it's it's um it's not all just the same sound slowed and sped up it's it's got four or five different extracts of the song playing so that's that's one of the ways in which i, I kind of make bird organs basically so are you saying um, that the, the bass notes are the birds slowed down so yeah everything everything you're hearing is is um bird song yeah yeah um and um and then why does it have such a kind of baroque feel i don't know is, i mean i guess the birds I, or is that you <laughs> good question i'm not totally sure i mean i grew up my dad's a pianist and grew up um on a on a diet of more or less nothing but bach so i i kind of there's something of that um music that's just i've been you know just in the um growing up environment was just very much part of the soundtrack but also i've um very much into a musician called moondog um, oh, yeah. who took some of that and, and incorporated quite a lot of other um, elements into it. And it's just, yeah, it's just a kind of sound and um, sound world that I've always just been immersed in, I think. It just, it's quite unconscious most of the time. I think it just comes out. I, I do think that, um, you know, uh, well, I, I did a thing um, a couple of years ago called The Instant Messiah, and, um, and we did new versions and old versions of of Handel's original and but we didn't have the right instruments because it was all comers you know there was no rehearsal and it just mm -hmm. meant that a lot of the lines that are played on harpsichords and bassoons and things like that weren't played on those things but they were played on other instruments from you know trombones saxes fiddles and the whole thing sounded so much like English folk music that it's obviously where it came from. Uh, yeah, I bet. And, and so I'm just wondering if, if that's another, you know, maybe maybe the birds are part of that. Yeah, maybe they're the sort of lowest common denominator. Maybe everything comes originally from birds, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I think I think if you if you look back far enough, I mean, a lot of people think that language evolves from music and from poetry, and um, and then if you're rewinding even further than that, I think the way that humans learn to communicate in their natural sound environments is is by imitation and by adding to a kind of already existing soundscape. So I think I think it's not entirely um, impossible to, to suggest that maybe music did evolve from some kind of listening to birds among other things yeah yeah um but it, it's um it's a fascinating 
thing to do. So this is mostly happening, what, with uh, maybe a sampling keyboard and computers? Yeah, that's more or less how I um, I compose it. I mean, I've done, yeah, so I have various field recording microphones and and then um, go out recording things and come back and then sort of collage them back into into music. But I, I, I try to try to leave some of the the sounds. I try not to affect the sounds too much or change them, other than by essentially by slowing them down and speeding them up. I I try to leave the actual integrity of the of the sound there, so it has that quality or character of, of the original bird song. I mean, there's quite a strong melody in the second one we heard, Nightingale Part One. Where did that melody come from? In the sense that, did you? just compose that melody or did you listen to the nightingale and you heard that tune in there and then you, then you kind of gave it a was that the one that has the kind of descending that because i didn't actually come on the phone in a dusty track i couldn't actually hear the uh oh, the live broadcast um, but um, i'm pretty no. sure because there's part one and two i'm I, I think it's the one that um i wrote that i think for my dad's christmas present a few years ago um one late one Christmas Eve, sort of, um, everything got a bit late. And so I, um, I don't know. I think that that one, that one did just pop out of my head. I don't think that was so inspired by the original Nightingale song. I think that the, the, the part two jaunty. was maybe a bit. Off. It is quite jaunty, and now you say it, it's quite festive too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think that was a, a last-minute Christmas present. Um. Okay, well, let's um, hear a little more. But before we do that, um, I've mentioned this to you already. So um, there is this song from Medieval Times, which I think has even got hocketing in it. It's certainly got. It certainly gets polyphonic as it goes along. So um, this is a version of um, Summer Is A Coming In, which maybe dates from the 14th century, maybe earlier, um, by the Lumina Vocal Ensemble. You reckon it's the first English folk song that was ever written down. I reckon it was the first English folk song to ever base its melody on um, on bird song. And uh, here they come now. <laughs> So indelibly, um, that was Cuckoo, and before that, Skylark. And we're listening to Wake Up Calls, which is a new album by Cosmo Sheldrake. When does it actually get released, Cosmo? It comes out on the 18th of September. Um, and there is, I do believe, um, a whole political point behind all this. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's it's just um, trying to bring our awareness towards the the massive decline in bird populations in the UK um, and elsewhere, but but um, the vast majority of the sounds and um, the bird song that I use to compose all the music from endangered British birds. Um, for example, the cuckoo, which I think its populations have dropped by about 50% in the last since 1995, in the last sort of 15 years. So, so I think yeah, part of the point was, um, I mean, they part, lots of the music I composed as 
for uses like alar- alarm calls, essentially alarm sock for using on your um, to wake up with. But also then started thinking about this, just this other meaning of this wake up call or trying to snap people or you know change our awareness essentially or expand our awareness to just um, it certainly changed the way that I listen to birdsong by making it all. Um, in fact, I can't sleep past the dawn chorus now because it's I've trained my body to to wake up to bird song by using these songs as alarm clocks, which is slightly unfortunate. But but um but yeah, I, I think a lot of the point was just to um to just um use the bird song itself to to shine a light on this huge population loss that's happening and and of you know more more generally than birds. I mean just this mass extinction that we're kind of living in. Yeah, I mean, uh, I see that Extinction Rebellion in the last week, their campaign, at least locally, there are lots of posters up. Um, and, it, you know, we're, and, and they're up in places where people normally put missing cat, missing dog, missing whatever, household pet. But this says, you know, a missing certain sort of butterfly or a missing bird. And uh, um, so it's kind of going on your same route. So you're saying that what started off as alarm calls to wake people up actually an alarm is an alarm call to us all i mean i hope it can function like that um i hope that people can that find find it does that for them but um certainly did that for me and um and through exploring this just began thinking more and more about just shocking about how many birds that were so common even 10 15 years ago that are now on the red or amber list of endangered birds so it's interesting what you say about cuckoos this is i mean i totally agree with you but just a little detail question about cuckoos. So cuckoos are basically um, a, a species that comes in and um, and then uh, it's here for a while and then it's gone, maybe it's gone by August. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, are, so when you say it's a threatened species, are you saying that less and less of them are coming to this country? Yes, so I think the populations in the UK have declined um, by 50% in the last 15 years. I mean, I, I think some of that might, I mean, with all migratory birds, I think it's, it's also the case that habitat loss, both sides can um, contribute to that. So, for example, I know that, I mean, I think Swiss and Swallows that come from um, lots of parts of Africa, I think some of their numbers are dwindling, not just because of uh, habitat loss in the UK, but also because of habitat loss in wherever they go back to. So there's a kind of double double-edged sword with migratory birds that um, they can be sort of assaulted on both both sides of wherever they're going. But, um, yeah. but yeah, it seems that population in the UK is, is taking a massive freefall. Well, um, though birds seem to have been around, uh, you, you, we were saying earlier that they seem now, it is reckoned that they're descended from uh, T-Rex, nothing to do with Mark Boland, but everything, <laughs> everything to do with the giant dinosaur with very tiny hands. Um, so, um, which is yeah, isn't a reference to any president of any country in the world. Um, though it would be but nice, yeah, no, nice if he was extinct as well. But anyway, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's um, it does seem amazing that I mean, the more because I mean, one point people thought dinosaurs are huge, scaly, scaly beasts, and. And it seems that from fossil records, more and more people are finding out that they actually were feathered and that feathers were not um, evolved. Um, dinosaurs didn't evolve feathers to, to fly necessarily, but to, to lose or um, at more kind of heat loss mechanisms. Um, and then they became convenient um, as birds kind of evolved out of dinosaurs and, and 
led to flight, but um, but it seems that they weren't a, a kind of byproduct of flight. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's amazing to think that birds come from. I mean, if you look at seagulls close to it's, it's quite it's quite evident, really. Um, I've often thought how dinosaur prehistoric um, seagulls seem. Yeah, and uh, or uh, organics or, or or cormorants when you see them flying high above your head, they look like well, would it be pterosaurs or something like that? Um, yeah, I, I was just wondering though um, how fast birds do adapt to environmental change because, like, obviously they have adapted a lot over the sixty-six million years that uh, there haven't been dinosaurs. But I'm. Do you think the changes are happening so fast that they just cannot deal with it? Yeah, well, I, it depends on the bird, really. I mean, I think certainly lots of birds have, have very much evolved to inhabit in urban environments. I mean, peregrine falcon um, falcons have completely taken to life in New York City, for example, and just um, feast on the pigeons there. And um, and lots of other birds have um, really easily adapted to to living in cities and um, or more urban existences. But but some some birds, I think like the curlew or something, that are very dependent on particular ecosystems and species and sort of smaller scale agriculture, less of these kind of monocropped massive fields. And um, I think those those things are being hit incredibly hard by by um, changes in agriculture or land use. And so no, I think it's yeah, some I think each it depends on the bird really, but um but also even birds that have very well adapted to urban life at totally changing their habits for example robins i mean robins already sing at night but but lots of birds will carry on singing well into the night time just because of the light of the street lamps and and stuff like that which isn't i mean it's just confusing i think apart from anything else but but yeah i think it just depends on the bird but i mean overwhelmingly i think it's um it's a change not that most birds haven't been taking to too well just judging by the kind of population declines and the statistics but um, so are you now on a lifelong mission, just as Messiaen was, because uh, Messiaen spent his life um, with birdsong um, after, after, actually after he'd been incarcerated in the prisoner of war camp during the Second World War when he wrote the, uh, the uh, hang on, when he wrote Cortex, The End of Time. Um, and, and, and then he spent the rest of his life with birdsong um so do you think that's going to happen to you i mean maybe i'm 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 sort of excited for a small break from it just because i've been totally and utterly immersed in it for certainly throughout lockdown and then um um not that i mean i've never i love i love birdsong and love listening to birds but from in terms of making the music i'm i'm not for giving it a small small break just um given that it's been the end of a kind of nine-year journey but i mean absolutely i will continue to and i'm very much exploring ways of performing the music and listening to it in different um setups and arrangements i'm really interested in in polyphony and then also in trying to create multi-channel um sound systems so i've been developing a an app with a friend that potentially could um which i'm going to try and launch simultaneous to the to the album um so I can stream, I can put some of the bird music into, into multiple parts, so say eight parts or 16 parts, and then people can get together with their phones and plug their phones into speakers or not, as the case may be, and then stream stream the music in multiple parts um, to create a kind of DIY um, 
to, I guess to kind of mirror how we actually listen to it or birdsong we never listen to through stereo speakers unless we're sitting in a room but but as it actually um, is sung and exists in the actual environment it's coming from all over the place all at once um, so I'm trying to create ways of exploring or listening back to this music that would um, better reflect how it's made in the first place but but yeah no I, I, I mean I don't think I'll ever be able to um, I'll always be somewhat um, working on this this sort of thing um, I think the next I'm, I'm planning on doing a bit a bit of aquatic music next with some um, fish and uh, whales and um, coral reef ecosystems so I, I might take a small hiatus but I'm sure I'll be back on the birds after so are you in fact becoming the David Attenborough of the music world <laughs> well, I don't know. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that exactly. But I, I do find that that there's so many. I'm massively inspired by um, a lot of the sounds that I hear in the in the natural world to make music. And I think there's already so much. Rather than sort of going into a, a room and trying to come up with something from scratch, I think it's it's nice to kind of work with what there already is and weave them together into into new things. But um, but yeah, I wouldn't say I was becoming the David Attenborough exactly. But <laughs> no, well. We shall see. Um, okay, uh, so um, how can people see you live apart from um, making the music with your app? Well, I mean, at the moment it's a bit tricky, isn't it? But um, I think I'm, I'm going to be performing at the digital version of How the Light Gets in Festival, um, which is coming up um, in a couple of weeks. I think it's on the 15th or 16th of September. I need to double-check that, but... Um, but other than that, I mean, I don't really, because the internet's so bad where we are in the woods, it's been almost impossible to even attempt at live streaming. So, um, so it's kind of ground to a halt really for me for now. But um, yeah, I hope to figure out a way of um, performing a bit more in this digital sphere that we're all currently in. But yeah, I mean, not sure exactly when the next gigs are all going to be happening again. But and, uh, and will you be doing any more with Matthew Herbert? I certainly hope so. I mean, I enjoyed that process a lot and. Um, and yeah, we shall see. I'd love to, love to work with him again, definitely. Oh well, it's so an, an exciting future ahead. Uh, as soon as maybe we're out of this uh, post-lockdown lockdown. Well, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, it's been really good talking to you. Um, and I'll just um, I'll say goodbye and play another couple of tracks, which is Marsh Warbler, and I'll end with an evening chorus. Um, Great. Uh, uh, just tell us a little about so when you recorded the evening chorus or is that several evening choruses that you've put together and kind of what time i'm very interested in the idea that the birds are only interested in the light and they're not interested <laughs> in the time well i mean i guess i guess the how the light changes the the birds respond with it and sing at different times um i mean it was i performed that was if i'm if i'm thinking of the same which uh, I don't have it in front of me because I because I'm actually hearing what you're what everyone else is hearing. But um, yeah, I think it was a, a number of evening choruses woven together and featuring some birds that um, like the missile thrush, for example, that that are quite late. Um, some of the last birds to stop singing, and um, so I, I was wandering around the fields and hedges around here and recording some of the um, sort of evening nighttime birds. Also, the the album takes a kind of arc. It starts at nighttime, goes through dawn chorus. Um, through kind of afternoon um, back into evening chorus and then ends back at night time again. So it's, it was part of this the kind of arc of the day. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a patchwork of a few evening choruses um, put together. 
Well, um, nothing else sounds like this at the moment. So get hold of Wake Up Calls uh, when it's out in just over a week, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been great talking to you. At some point, let us encounter each other again. I hope so, yeah. Thanks for having me on the show. Good luck with it all. Um, and uh, good luck with where the light gets in, too. Okay, so, Thanks very much. so here's the evening chorus. Farewell, Cosmo. Thank you. <laughs>